Hello and welcome to this week's Stats Bomb podcast with me, James York, and Ted Kidutson. Ted, we're a weekly podcast, but you weren't here last week, and therefore no was I. I mean, what happened? I was in Barcelona doing uh, Barcelona things. Oh, really? Oh, well, that's all right for some, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, it's a bit lucky. It's it's not just me. I I feel like you know, stats bomb was there uh, all the way back to 2013. We we were kind of invited to to go present at the the Barcelona Coach Analytics Summit, and so I got to do that. Um, surrounded by like lots of very cool, very smart people, um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was like a a really good trip, but also learned a lot too. Yeah, I mean that was pretty fun. I mean, sorry, sorry, podcast listeners for letting you down there, but. Uh, <laughs> I think you'd go to Barcelona too if you had the chance, wouldn't you? I don't think the weather was certainly better than here. Jesus, <laughs> it's getting cold, come yeah. come back to rainy, freezing England. It's like, yeah, I'll go back to Barcelona where there are thunderstorms, but at least it's twenty. Yeah. Anyway, you've um, you've written up your thoughts from there, and that's on the site, and you've also recorded your slides into a video, which is. Um, if it's not on the site, it's on it's on YouTube, and you can find it on your Twitter timeline for sure. So if anyone's interested in Ted's trip, which did sound rather good, um, then yeah, you've kindly shared with the world. So uh, yeah, that's that. Well, in a past life, um, we used to do things called like tournament reports for like card games and stuff like that. So you know, you write up what happened, and they talk about some stories and whatever. Here, it was, uh, you know, it's a bit easier. You're just like, hey, here's a bunch of slides, and these are the things we did, and here's like, a photo of the inside of the Barcelona team bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> Transporting you on that, that's definitely going <laughs> to uh, give you a bit of a, a giddy pull of, uh, you know, living the life, so to speak. Anyway, um, what have we got today? We, got, we have actually got some football to talk about, a few topics. We're still in the international break, so... You know, there's always that that thing where you you think, right, what what was going on before the international break? What's coming next? I I can't remember. Well, what has happened in the international break is the Nations League, which seems to have been. I wonder how well it's been received across Europe. Obviously, it's been rather well received in England due to their success within the Nations League and uh, quite an exciting uh, finale to the match the other night, uh, the other afternoon rather, meant that England now qualify for the finals. And I'm quite I'm quite in enticed by the idea that there's uh, a small tournament next summer i'm sure the club managers are less enticed by that idea but um yeah this nations league seems to have worked out okay i think yeah it's i mean another way of saying england's success would be england's very near failure right (laughs) they were once again losing to um croatia uh but then you know the set piece stuff kicked in, I guess. Yeah, um, long long throw and <laughs> and a, and a, a free kick. Yeah, this is it. I mean, yeah, that. I mean, if you talk about small tournaments, if you talk about Euros or um, you know World Cup, and you know just you can get knocked out on a bit of bad luck or one call or whatever it is. I mean, the Nations League with this this kind of four game format leading into the. Um, yeah, with three team groups. I think as we talk about World Cup doing three team groups, I don't know. It's it's a bit. Yeah, it's, it's it feels like it leaves things far to chance when. Uh, but there's like so much to talk about in this because of the way that it's stacked, right? So they they've stacked it so that you know the top teams get to play against other top teams to to go through their groups, and um, you don't really get this anywhere else. And so instead of like having high profile friendlies, you actually have moderately meaningful games. 
Um, I mean, the biggest one has to be the Netherlands, who who feel like they've been just doormats for ages, and it's kind of almost confusing. Like, how did the Netherlands end up in this in this league A? It seems like they should have been league league B, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but they end up going through their group against Germany last night uh, on the back of they were losing two nil, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. They looked like it was done, and <coughs> France would go through, and then late comeback. <laughs> well, not only late comeback, but like. So their goal difference in this group was plus four. Mm. They 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 won the group, uh, you know, on the back of goal difference, the same number of points as as world champions France. Uh, you know, Dutch football has been in a trough for a while, and and it's this is like the the first real sign of a of a return to life. Um, not sure how many good coaches there are in the Netherlands, but I guess at the at the national team level, you need one. And we do have to say they they turn out pretty good talent at at the the youth level that goes on to their their teams. Yeah, there's st- there's still a couple of players in there in there that you you would happily put into any team. Like I mean, obviously they've got Depay who's very useful. Wijnaldum's got tons of experience at a decent level now. Um, Frankie, then, yeah, Frankie, people Van Dijk, obviously excellent, and. It, yeah, people coming through. Like, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go now. Uh, the Netherlands, in contrast to Germany, who just who compl- seem to be completely in transition now. I mean, that, I mean that was always going to be the case with the the kind of Özil era and the Müller era kind of moving towards their dotage. But yeah, I mean, horrible, horrible. Year. Probably the worst year in. Someone tell me if this German international teams had a worse year than than this. It's been well. I guess it was. It'd be like at the beginning of the Honigstein book, Das Reboot, where you know they they sort of reassessed everything that was going on. I think this one is probably as much sort of manager fatigue and also um, you know player era changes because right they they won the World Cup and after you won, win the World Cup like very rarely do you have like a hugely sustained period like Spain did um, from 2008 to 2012 uh, but yeah it's the, you know they're still on the hook for, for low and they chose to keep him but I'm not sure that that makes sense anymore yeah if it, I mean if, if he gets if he survives this on top of the World Cup then they're I don't know that's 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 probably a longer not many managers would survive that, and you probably do need a World Cup on your CV. To, yeah, exactly. You got through it. You got the CV, so we give you a little bit longer. But now you're like, Hur. yeah. I mean, was it Alf Ramsey for England when they won the World Cup? Was it 1974? He got that far. I think he got that far. Or it might have been. No, it was just before. But yeah, it just got to a point. So it's five years after he won the World Cup. Five, six years after he won the World Cup, I think. You know, England's greatest manager, and it was still got to a point where it was like, right, it's not working out, is it? And it does. And that's football. That's football. That is know. football. I, that was actually a thing that was in my Barcelona talk. Like, this game is not sympathetic. It is competitive. And if you don't keep up, if you don't learn, if you don't continue to adapt to all of your opponents who are certainly trying to learn and adapt uh, your stuff and incorporate it and improve on it, then you will gradually, you know, die off or it won't be gradual. Like you'll get the ax and you'll stay out. And so here's a question for you. Go on. Are England a more talented Iceland now? <laughs> That's a little bit mean. I th- I encourage <laughs> well, they are a very talented team. Yeah. I'm encouraged that they've moved they've moved away from the three centre backs. Um right right we had Riley on the site, Paul Riley a while ago and he he was advocating he was also advocating dropping Kane, but you know, we don't really need to talk about that. But he was advocating that they would move <laughs> move to from like this three five 
two whatever it was at the World Cup into a kind of four three three because um, because we, there was so little in midfield um, in for England during that tournament and yeah I mean they've done that and that's that's quite refreshing because I thought Southgate potentially was you know a, a rigid kind of three five two this is what I played back in my day kind of coach and it feels like he's actually um, embraced some kind of change and they've definitely got the players for the, for this kind of system and it gives gives Kane leaves Kane in the centre and you've got um, Sterling or Rashford or whoever you know, fizzing around to the side of them and just maybe get someone else in midfield maybe Barkley's the player that can um, help help a little bit just something different in that midfield but sorry the midfield whisperer <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah my, the reason why I brought it up though is like you know England most of England's goal scoring is off of set pieces so it, it does yeah, no, it and, still and is. now you've got a new long throw and so we haven't seen the adjustments on the attacking side but you know you play tight defense and you grind it out and you score some set pieces look this is I'm not complaining about this this is my fucking playbook right like these are the things that I do it's just I'm, I'm slightly intrigued by it yeah I mean they, they did create some decent chances against Croatia the other day and um, that's that's the thing it is just like you've got to bolt on some open play to the what looked like just hardcore set pieces beforehand so I mean if that's that's the transition they've got to make and of course they're going into going into this Nations League in the summer they're surely the favourites to I mean I haven't looked at the betting actually they're probably it's in Portugal and Portugal are there and Portugal are always going to be a bit of a bit of a tough grind but yeah they're certainly not the outsiders of this they could win a tournament for the first time since Le Tournoi many years ago well Switzerland's an interesting one uh, and that match also so like the I think the best part about the Nations League has been this final insane round mm. where where like you've got the France Germany result and or uh, not France but Netherlands Germany result that they flipped around but you got that it really really crazy Switzerland Belgium one yeah yeah totally <clears throat> and you know, so that, that that was like fu- it was two two it might even be like you know Belgium might have had a lead and then yeah, it was no, they five two yeah they were two 0 up yeah <laughs> lost five two and lost five to two Martinez is still in charge there yes I've I've heard that rumor that is about the most Martinez thing to happen possible. Oh. Oh, that reminds me. I was looking at the the World Cup technical report because that's what nerds do, and uh, <laughs> it was. I was looking through like the the different ways that the goals were were scored, and, and Belgium had something like sixteen goals, mm. and uh, and in the report it has one set piece goal, but that report classifies penalty kicks as set pieces. Ah, uh, yeah, right. It's insane. It is insane to go through that World Cup and have no set piece goals, but that's Roberto Martinez's world. Yeah, exactly. He's just doing it his own way. It was, was he linked with a he was linked with a Madrid job, wasn't it? And then they, <laughs> they I don't know, chose not to. Uh, that's fine. But yeah, he's um, again. That's a, that's another interesting scenario, isn't it? You know, getting hammered by Switzerland is not really a very good look off the back of a pretty good season. And he's you know he got to the semis of the World Cup, and it feels you see you make your reputation in these these summer tournaments, and things can go your way or not, and you know fate can take a hand to least uh, well but, he he at least has like great talent right that that yeah, yeah. team is is amazing yeah but they shouldn't be getting hammered 5-2 by switzerland <laughs> italy still working on uh <laughs> the regeneration of italy i i had to laugh to myself four matches how many goals were scored total in those four matches i don't know actually tell four me goals <laughs> two goals for two goals against Oh, there we are. That's all nice and tidy. Scintillating oh, yeah, Italian they? football. They're in the Portuguese group. Oh, the Portuguese group hasn't finished. Well, it has finished. But well, it's basically finished, yeah. Mm, yeah. And but, Spain. 
So, so Spain are still in their, their sort of like tweener phase, but they were plus five on goal difference and they, they managed to finish second to England because of uh, England had a draw. So yeah, it's cool. Um, we should probably talk about League B too, which is also very interesting because you know some of these teams are going to be down there. But like Ukraine coming out on top of, of Czech Republic and Slovakia, intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, Russia and Sweden play tonight, I believe. Um, and Russia are currently topping that group uh, with seven points. Sweden have four. Turkey are uh, the bottom of the group. Um, so, you, like, you know, again, Russia not having a home World Cup, but still grinding out some results here. Intriguing. It's kind of it's kind of funny. You got Bosnia are going to go up. Like, I mean, the, the year one of Nations League looks perfect. It's like, yep, we've got all the big nations in the same same level. They're all in level A, and immediately after, you know, Germany have now got relegated, which is <laughs> suboptimal for you know, kind of probably for like a ticket sales perspective or something. You know, in the general. How is it for Schadenfreude perspective? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's fun. I just, I just, I'm really quite intrigued to see what the Nations League will look like after five iterations and a variety of ups and downs and so. But this is absolutely football manager AI over the course of simulation seasons, right? Like we have no idea. Because you could, you could end up with like a reasonably large, large nation uh, just having a bad run of you know a couple of, couple of bad results. It's enough to like kick them down to like. Nations League C or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to like San Marino ending up in uh, in the B League. <laughs> it's all good fun. Anyway. Hey, before before we progress from this, um, congratulations to our Danish friends, of which there are more than a few, of also grinding out some results, getting eight points from their group, and topping uh, Wales and Republic of Ireland. Uh, was it uh, Ewan who who works at Statsbomb pointed something out to me yesterday? That that's that Republic of Ireland game. Uh, but Denmark Republic of Ireland. Denmark had twenty six shots. Republic of Ireland had three. That's fine. You know that sounds like that sounds like the world of Martin <laughs> O'Neill to me. Anyway, anyway, it turns out Denmark had one shot on target. And there was a reason you pointed out because he was like, "What the hell happened there? <laughs> twenty six shots and one on target." I guess maybe that is the Martin O'Neill story as well. You can shoot, but we're gonna we're gonna get in the way. Well, um, they're still getting relegated out of the group, so maybe yeah. you know you might need to shoot more times than three per game in order to try and. Stay up. It feels like Martin O'Neill's brand of football is a uh, transitions from club to country, and maybe, maybe it's maybe it's had its day. I don't. Well, know. this is this is again like the the game is not sympathetic, and you know, it's like national team management is the last refuge of those who you know, sort of tactically the the game has passed them by. But you know, at some point, it just it just does. I mean, it's not just him, right? It's um. Uh, who's Alex McLeish up in mm. up in Scotland as well? Like having lots it. of lots of problems. Players keep pulling out and don't want to play and things like that. Oh yeah, not good. Yeah, which you know what is going on there? Like Scotland, I don't know. Scotland are weirdly consistently chaotic. Um, oh, so interesting thing. So Poland are getting relegated, right? They they're at the bottom of their group, and obviously mm-hmm. Liga is quite tough. Um, but and and the days are going up. But like I, you know, I didn't grow up in Europe, so like I don't know a lot of the factoids that you would probably learn. I probably, you know, stupid amounts of American state information, but not <laughs> European country information. <clears throat> but like Denmark is between six and seven million people total, right? Mm-hmm. How many people does Poland have? Oh, uh, loads. Yeah, probably it's, lo- it's like 38 million. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy number. And so from an economist perspective, you're looking at that and you're like, you know, Denmark is churning out talent pretty regularly. <clears throat> Poland almost inadvertently seems to churn out talent. 
Yeah, I think we talked about this a little short while ago about you know Poland being like <laughs> potentially. It feels like they could could have got more out of their 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 footballers over the years. They had a good spell in the seventies, um, and then in the eighties they had some big new Boniek. He was a very talented player, played for Juve and such. But apart from that, you know, you kind of fast forward to Lewandowski and. Yeah, there isn't much more. Denmark, similarly, they have the Laudrup brothers, who were in a very good team in 1986 World Cup that, that, that we played. But, you know, the, these you know non-traditional giant football European nations, they just kind of poke their heads up every decade or two and have a, you know, get a couple of good players that are enough to propel them. And both of those teams, uh, both of those countries seem to have had that kind of profile, at least in recent years. I'm not sure Poland might have been better historically, but I mean, I'm they certainly were, but... When you look at the baselines, though, like you know, if they if they were to invest in in kind of like probably better coaching and and youth development, like they could actually be a consistent European power, just given the the economics of the situation and the size of it. Um, you know, it's it's amazing that small countries in South America like Uruguay like turn out such good teams, and I guess it's because they allow their their small children to kick the shit out of each other inside of uh, those <laughs> little toddler toddler football places. I don't know. I'm not saying that we recommend that, but, you know, maybe it works for them. But but Poland feels like <clears throat> the one nation that that is sort of lagging a bit on this. I mean, people used to say England were as well, right? And when they are, but like Poland are twice the size of the Netherlands, and um, we have Polish data for, uh, you know, on Statsbomb. Uh, data. So if you're interested in that, and you, you know, Piatek is another one that looked quite interesting. They churn out goalkeepers regularly. So I, I don't know. I was just kind of like the economist to me was like, this is really intriguing. And obviously they're going down because like they're all of those group A or League A groups are tough. But uh, the disparity between like a six million Denmark and a and a thirty eight million Poland, I I just find interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, it's um. Yeah, it kind of fits with the historical trajectory, but with your economist hat on, what's going on? Anyway, let's let's move on from this. James we'll, is bored now. Bored of bored <laughs> of nature. Yeah, we've done we've done international football on this podcast. This is a, this is a scarcity in itself. Um, we had the World Cup, you weirdo. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good point. <laughs> um, well, what else has been going on recently? Uh, finally, the manager got sacked. Uh, or, sorry, Jim says in a delighted voice. Kindly <laughs> Finally. Asked, asked to leave and replaced uh, at Fulham, which I don't think. Well, I mean, I guess that's not really surprising, uh, judging you know the, the kind of equation between investment and retention of Premier League status. Probably drove that um, massive amount of investment in the summer. Rock bottom of the table. Yeah, thirty-one goals given up. Even if you're the best nicest manager they've ever had, that that then, equation says you're getting fired. Yeah, and then comes Ranieri, which is, I mean, interesting. My my instinctive reaction to Ranieri going in there was like, well, I'm not sure about this. I mean, that sounds crazy. He won the title like three years ago, but then I then I kind of remembered because I did write about them quite a lot right there and kind of explore Ranieri. He's got quite—I think he's got quite a good record of like coming in and literally just like powering short-term um, success, uh, not you know not necessarily winning things, but like getting his team just to all point in the right direction for six months, a year, eighteen months maybe, and then not. Not doing, you know, not doing so well afterwards, and eventually getting fired. He's he's managed so many clubs in his career. It's, it's a long, long career, and you know, been variously successful. But well, if, if you remember the, the you know the title winning team, 
Like they mm. played really solid defensive football, and then they they broke out with pace and and that's really what you need, right? You need someone to come in to solidify Fulham's defense and then be able to rely a little bit on their talent in order to, to overcome teams. But you can't do it giving up you know two to four goals against the the bottom feeders like that does mm. not work. So that's kind of where they're at. I I'm intrigued by this. Um, you know, Renieri's. He's got a lot of seconds in his career. In fact, yeah, yeah. before he won with Leicester, he, he never won a title. It was kind of the, the curse of, of Ranieri. Then he unexpectedly gets gets a, a title at Leicester. What, what could be less likely? But you know, him coming in is is interesting from a lot of perspectives. It does give what you know people would say they need, which is you know, you've got a, a defensively solid manager that, to come in and, and shore that up. You've probably got pretty good talent. They might need a new goalkeeper again or they might might just need to like you know have some confidence in in one of their ones i was talking to somebody and, and he's like you know from the outside it looks like fulham have have three decent pretty decent goalkeepers none of whom have performed well and bettinelli has been particularly bad at least in our metrics so the the question then becomes you know why uh, they haven't been this terrible at other places and i don't know but like we'll find out i you know you were you clearly said that you know a change was going to come and you, Loss, 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 loss. Like the the infinite losses alongside of it. It did happen. Um, I almost I almost messaged you on the last game weekend, saying, "Hey, look, Cardiff are, are out of the relegation spots." But then, because that was the early game, and they got a result, and then like everybody else who was behind them pretty much got a result except for Fulham as well. So now they're back in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean at the bottom, that bottom of the table, which you know we haven't um, uh, we've, we've mentioned <laughs> quite regularly actually. Uh, it's you know it's there's plenty of teams still still within it we I, I think last time we talked we talked about I talked about Brighton being not too far away and you were like they've got 14 points and it's like yeah they're still six points clear of the relegation zone but you know only takes you know if, if Ranieri comes in and generates two wins from somewhere you know then it's then it tightens right up but then they have 11 points <laughs> again but yeah again Cardiff Cardiff's, Cardiff's metrics don't look don't look bad at all you know criticise the methods uh but, but there's been house cleaning at Southampton too, which is also intriguing, right? But yeah, like the, the house, stuff. the house cleaning has not included the coach. No, and that their metrics look like. I mean, the, the thing with the Southampton over over time is their metrics have looked better than their outcomes. You know, they've looked like they're an, they look like they've looked for about three seasons like they're kind of like the tenth to thirteenth best team in the league, and then have like struggled to kind of, or even better than that to be honest, and have struggled to kind of hit it now. Their metrics look like one of the teams that's going to be in the mix to struggle. I mean, like you know, fifth worst, I think we've got them at or something. Sure, maybe fifth or sixth worst, and that kind of that kind of fifth to sixth worst down to worst worst is all a bit kind of a mulch because you've got we 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 think <laughs> we think Burnley are really quite bad, but then that's just <laughs> that's just. But that's like this year. Tradition. In, in past years, <laughs> we have not thought that they were as bad. Like our stuff last year had them as, as basically like right at the cusp of the top 10. Mm. Uh, so, and, and part of that, I think, is like the early season. It, there'll be lagging indicators. If they've solidified, then then that should shore up. So here's, a, here's an interesting one. And people, uh, a <laughs> little, little bit of a st- statistical factoid. You don't control when reversion to the mean happens, people. Um, <laughs> so... With regard to Arsenal, uh, we had a few things on the site like last month, I guess, talking about how they're not as good as their numbers, and they've got back-to-back-to-back draws. So, uh, you know, they, they've kind of come come back to earth a little bit. Meanwhile, like 
Dortmund have not come back to earth, which is great for the Bundesliga and fun. Um, <clears throat> Bayern Munich are seven points back, and, and you know they're in fifth. Wee! Bayern Munich are in fifth. This is great. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with Dortmund again. Like Dortmund have Lucien Favre powering this. Um, Unai Emery stuff has not really sort of shown an indication of him being able to outperform good expected goals models long term. Uh, but I, I thought it was it was noticeable. Like some people were like, "Oh yeah, well you said Dortmund were going." I'm like, "Look, I, I don't know. This is what we usually think. They're not as good as as the you know their initial results had indicated, but they keep winning, so maybe not." But at least we got the the Arsenal side where they they are not. I say at least as a fan, I, this sucks. I, the Arsenal cannot perform their XG forever. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but I, as someone who does this sort of predictive stuff, I lose. I had a quick look at our goalkeeper metrics. Um, yeah, was it yesterday or something? And, and it's like uh, I think they had like Loris uh, top in like what looks like an intensely unsustainable position. Oh, he's like uh, tiny amount of shots faced, right? Especially yeah, on target. Yeah, yeah. And then and then I um, and then I like refiltered to add in all keepers, and then like Leno was ahead of him. And it's like here's there you go. There's your Arsenal Tottenham story right now. So they could bound to concede some more at some point because. Uh, you know, again, you just don't know when, but it just feels like they're very much at the top end of what they could expect out of that. Um, where are we going to go now? Man United. What was your question, Ted? You actually phrased this specifically. Um, I, I think I was asking, like, you know, where specifically are they troubled? It's interesting. It is interesting what's going on with Man United. I tried to have a poke at it to try and try and work out, um, like what I what I could see, um. What have I got here? I've got a lo- load of things. They've conceded loads of goals, like really from close in, and this is why again, like looking at our keeper metrics, like De Gea looks fine. He <laughs> looks like he's doing exactly as well as last season, but ain't a lot you, anyone can do if, like, if you're conceding great shots from close in, and a fa- fair amount of them are going in. You know, you have to be Superman to actually like repel the really high quality shots. And yeah, I mean they've they've only conceded one goal from any kind of range, and that was Moutinho's goal from Wolves. The rest have just been like the defense is just not like clearing clearing house at all. Well, that's that's the big issue. But if if I think if you look at like this year versus last year, um, on the basic numbers anyway, yeah, they they've fallen off. Like last year, they were basically one point five goals per game. Now they're the one point one eight. Which is significant, right? And last year we didn't think they were great, but then the the defensive side of the ball is is also scary in that way. So they're this year we have them conceding like one point three four. Last year was you know basically right around one. The the swing in that is like a point seven goals a game xg, which is you know a massive gambling and probability swing in, in a tight league. And you know that I think that combination especially is pretty scary overall yeah i mean it just yeah we just don't just, i mean they got that result in, Ju- in juventus uh, in turin and that felt like the first time in ages they actually kind of like limped over the line and then they got absolutely outplayed by man city much like they did last season even though, even if they won the game but yeah there's just no coherence in in across the team i've looked at their transfers like let's be slightly if I'm being slightly unkind the last like unadulterated great transfer that that, I mean it wasn't arguably um, a kind of philosophically great transfer Uh, when they signed a player a star for big money and they came in and they did the business it was probably Van Persie and that's insane because that's 
five or six years ago. And if you look at if you look through all the players that they've signed through, then they've seen they spent big money time and again on players, and the outputs that they've actually got out of the players that they've they've paid huge money for have been rarely more than kind of like okay to good. Like someone like Lukaku, like has he's been fine, but really at, at that kind of price, you want you want him to be skewing upwards. And so I, I would say that. You know, they signed Martial so young, and this year especially, Martial has been good. Yeah, he's the he's the one, him and De Gea are probably the two parts of this team that you can sit there and look at and think like, right, okay, that, that you've absolutely got it on the money there. There's no issues with that, because it feels like Martial's like potentially transitioning into what they hoped he would be. And Pogba, I think, has been just fine. The, the issue around United especially is just, you know, one, you don't know... Who's guiding recruitment? Uh, was it from from Moyes to LVG to to Mourinho? Right, like it seems like United are a little more traditional in in that way, and they have had some <clears throat> some reasonable hits. And you know they they've you know <laughs> statistically, regardless of what you think uh, of their second place finish, like you know they finished second, so like against you know, a pretty <laughs> pretty decent historic uh, corollary there. Um, yeah, it's it's intriguing. What I found interesting with this squad, especially is how young most of their minutes are. So like mm. we we feel like United have been quite old for a long time. They still have a lot, Antonio Valencia there. They signed Alexis Sanchez. They've got Fellaini. So like they've got a lot of age on there. Um, but if you look at kind of across the squad, you're seeing uh, McTominay's got some minutes. Uh, Eric Bailey's got some minutes. Pereira's got a bit of minutes. Lingard and, and Rashford out of their academy, significant minutes. You know, Lingard's 25 now. Rashford's t- still 21. <clears throat> so it, I think it doesn't take that much to, to retool this squad, actually. I mean, that, maybe that's me being optimistic. But. Yeah, I mean, like, they, they, they signed Fred. Fred hasn't really worked out yet. It's early days for the lad, you know. This I, think, I think Fred, any... any Brazilian named Fred just should be a warning flag. He needs to be like Fred Wardo or something like that. You know, you, you need you need to have a, a little more flair in in your name. Any Brazilian that sounds like your uncle uh, is probably not as good as as build. You should be careful about the price tag. Bernard. Yeah. Also. Same. <laughs> is it, yeah. If you're great, my great uncle, Brazilian football. The, the, the best Brazilians get better nicknames. This is this is it. Like this. You know, you you've got. <laughs> You've got clear heuristics that that tell you, well, maybe we shouldn't pay that much. He's a yeah, <laughs> on shaky ground. <laughs> but yeah, Sanchez, Sanchez is always a great example. You know, like you just expect a little bit more from Sanchez. I think there's a small argument that he's he's done. I know Gracie writes for the sites have been quite supportive of Sanchez. Yeah, in be his, be in careful his here; the, the time is going to get fiery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, uh, supportive him in his time of need, but it still feels like it's not enough. And like, he's not—he's not starting as many games as you know. You'd think like Mourinho would have pushed for him, and then like pretty much built his team around him. And something's—something's something's off there. Um, Centre backs—they've kind of been forced into Lindelof and Smalling most of this season. And I think this jury's still out on where, whether Lindelof can actually transition into a kind of top four, top six centre-back. Smalling feels like he's just been there forever, and he's a, he's a kind of solid citizen, but not really anything kind of more than that. Again, Matic in midfield, um, he's been there a year and a half, well, nearly a year and a half now. We we called that one early. We were like, I wouldn't make this, this transfer. Like, this is... 
you know, we, we you see the fall off um, in his last season at Chelsea, and you're like, eh, you know, could it be manager related? Could it be this? Could it be age? And you're worried that it's age, and quite clearly, it feels like it's age. So yeah, all of these factors kind of going going into one melting pot, and they're not they're not really the sum of their parts. And it probably wouldn't take that. I mean, Martial if Martial has like that season where it, where he um, you know he comes good and you know he's, he's brilliant all season, then he he might be the one guy that can power them forward. You know, Rashford's still got a, a chance of that, and you know if Pog, Pogba can. Um, I just find fitting that midfield together it just feels like a jigsaw with the wrong amount of pieces in some way um, you know they've got players like Herrera and Fellaini that kind of slot in at, at times uh, I guess Matic and Pogba is the um, the first choice too in there um, but it just I don't know it just it, it's just they've got too many players that are, look <laughs> that should be doing better than they actually are, and I feel like yeah, he's, as a result of that, he's ended up shuffling the pack quite a lot, and they're just disjointed. I mean, I, how times I've watched um, the opposition run through Man United's midfield this this season, and um, you know, almost unhindered. And I mean, I looked at their defensive activity map that we've got on the on the site, and I'm sure it's been put in articles that we've read, um, put up on the site this season um, and it's just there's no pattern and I think that's something people have picked up on now is like Mourinho always he always used to feel like he had a, a strong kind of ethos of like how his team would set up and now it's just I, can, I just can't see it I don't know where it is yeah I'm, I'm kind of there with you and I think the real concern here is just how many numbers have fallen and and again you know, we don't want to sort of repeat ourselves but it, 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 third year of Mourinho we've seen this before um the underlying numbers are bad so what what's the answer there was that article there was that article um that was written about Mourinho's life and he's still in a hotel and all this kind of stuff but he said quite clearly that he he spends a hell of a lot of time at the training ground plotting and planning the next you know the next stage or the next game um it's just like the returns that aren't aren't quite there. And I was where are they going to finish? I was yeah. I mean, I was looking at this. Uh, like I, I've got a bunch of numbers stored from years years ago. At twelve game point, I used to write a little thing about it. But like the teams don't bounce forward from where Man United are right now into the top four. You know, it's it's just they've had too bad a start. It would there'd be huge outsiders to do that, and especially in a season where the top four have been. Um, or the you know the other top four contenders have either been very good or bounced forward off like mediocre numbers and you know kind of stored a bunch of points. It's just going to be incredibly hard. I uh, to me, I think sixth place is most likely for them. You say um, sixth? If it goes wrong, <laughs> seventh, eighth. So I mean, I I find this intriguing because like the table context around it, they're seven points back at the top four, um, but from a goal difference perspective, like. Bournemouth, so Arsenal above them are plus 11. Bournemouth are plus 5 and 6. Watford are plus 3 in 7th. Everton are in ninth, so they're one below them, but they're plus 4. Leicester are plus 1. United, United are minus 1. Like They have a negative goal difference, and they've given up you know 21 goals, which put, means that their defense is you know, legitimately <laughs> not great. <laughs> we, we, we say things in, in sort of like... Uh, I mean, they have the, the fifth worst defense in the league at the moment in terms of conceded. And 
it seems fair. On the other hand, like Arsenal have are also <laughs> in a not great spot for their defensive numbers there. So. I just feel I just feel like um management of resources and squad depth will always help um the the big six clubs through the you know, the winter section where yeah. they haven't where they haven't got the added European games when there's a lot of Premier League games, you know, through December late late this month, through December, through Christmas. And I always feel like that's where the that's where the kind of the the you know the pretenders to uh, that kind of you know, teams like Bournemouth, Leicester, Wolves, and stuff might find themselves a little bit stretched and uh, just find t- results a little tough to come by. So that's what I, I mean. That's that, that's one of the main reasons I think it will shake out. I totally agree. I mean, like Arsenal, Tottenham, and Man United's numbers, none of them look like. Um, the strongest teams in the league maybe Tottenham is slightly ahead of the other two but you know Chelsea, Chelsea Liverpool and Man City are, look like the dominant forces in this league this season and uh, you know a little bounce downwards could harm any of the Arsenal, Man United or maybe Tottenham and hamper their top four chances um, Tottenham have turned into George Graham era Arsenal <laughs> so you just grind out one nils <laughs> Yeah, I mean they do. They've they've played a few games, much like Arsenal, when they've been quite par and um, and just got got to the got the result at the end. And yeah, but a lot of games away from home. So anyway, we're not doing Tottenham this week. Let's not. Do you have start. a home? Yeah, I I'm sat in my home right now. But <laughs> personally, oh right, sorry. <laughs> uh, so let's let's skip across and and talk about you know the 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 rivals. Uh, not the blue rivals, but the other red rivals in Liverpool. Yeah, what do we think about Liverpool this season? I mean, I I, I can spin this off. I I didn't read the article because it, it's subscri- subscription. But Michael Cady wrote something about uh, how they. I think the emphasis that he looked like he was going for was that they'd spent good money in the summer to like make the transition into um, like the top tier, and they hadn't quite made it, which I thought was harsh. If, I mean, if maybe the article was uh, not quite as explicit as that, but in Man City in this league, it's hard. It's going to be hard to make that transition. Um, Liverpool have been pretty much fine so far this season, uh, without the attacking um, spark maybe of uh, parts of last season. But so I think fine is harsh. Like they're not fine. They're really good, <laughs> and and in fact, they they're they're good in a way that. Without this absurd city team, um, you would see them competing basically for the league. But yeah. the the problem is is you know historical era, and we run into this in the NBA all the time. When you get a cadre of elite players alongside a good coach in the NBA, like they can really dominate an era. Like Pep's first team didn't dominate, and that was that was actually kind of wonderful. And people are like, oh well, you know, look, England has solved Pep. Oh, have they? Well, that's really interesting. Tell me about it now. How do you feel now? Now you're seeing, oh, well, you know, we're in the worst era for competitive balance. I'm like, no, you're just in this insane city period. And the other teams at the top of the table have gotten a bit lucky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, this is it. I don't, by saying they're fine, I don't mean to be crit- critical at all. I think, um, I think you know, what they've done is, is slot themselves very much into that mix and, like, with probably sustainability to it as well, their metrics have been like really quite solid ever since uh, probably Plop's second season, I think. 
and you know they, they they look like Man City in some ways. They take vast majority of shots. They give up barely any chances. Uh, having finally got um, a bit of a change of personnel, and uh, I I, just, I keep going back to this, but like having Joe Gomez and uh, Alexander Arnold coming through at the same time is you know <laughs> you, you dream of stuff like that happening. Well, Gomez was a transfer. They bought him. He was sure. actually quite highly regarded um from teams that that knew about him. Charlton consistently turned out talent. And and so Gomez like there were a lot of teams that were looking and and Liverpool managed to be the ones that that sucked him in. Um, Absolutely, but, yeah, you're, but, but you're right. like, your kids, you know, your the kids coming through your, you know, whether you buy them or they come directly through your academy, those kids hitting the first team, you know, it's, it's well, and it's you have to dream. give them chances too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Solanke is not getting chances while Sturridge is is still playing there, so like that's the other side of that coin. Uh, you've got a kid that looks like he's pretty good, he's put up good numbers, but isn't playing while the the older guard, who's really quite good as well, but you know, has dodgy everything in the lower body then. <laughs> He's still playing. Um, so we kind of looked at the numbers here. And the, the thing about Liverpool press is like, you just, you can't believe it at any point. <laughs> you can't believe the hype and you can't believe the downside. And the wailing and gnashing of teeth is almost a constant. So you have to filter it out. And that's where numbers are really helpful. But like, look at the numbers. They're almost identical to last year. Yeah, that's, that's you know, Ewan, Ewan wrote something on the site and took a really deep kind of look at what what you could find out about it and that was generally the idea it's like people think Liverpool have changed I just I I one of the analysis points that came out of that was that they spent a hell of a lot of time leading and they've scored lots of early goals so I think that and something that Liverpool have learned to do over probably the last season and a half of Klopp is to manage situations and manage uh, manage um, the game state and not you know just go ballistic all the time so when you're spending all your time in the lead or a vast majority of time in the lead and they, they are genuinely leading about twice as frequently as they were over the course of the whole of last season so you imagine that that line will move probably downwards at some point um it really does help when you don't actually have to um direct your pressing quite so high up the pitch you can be a little bit more kind of um <clears throat> a little bit more targeted about that. Yeah, and you can conserve energy as a long season. The other thing that I, I think we're seeing is, you know, Kaylee's piece talks a little bit about how they, they made a number of big transfers to try and make the leap. Uh, Fabinho, and, and often midfielders are slow to settle under Jurgen Klopp. So Kate has been injured. Um, Fabinho seems to be, when he gets to play, is pretty good. The numbers of the numbers that have changed, and there, there are very few of them, the shot quality against has changed. And that makes sense because one, you're in the lead. Uh, but two, like, you know, Van Dyke was only there for half a season last year. And Van Dyke's been really, really good as well. Uh, he was kind of the missing piece. But the other thing that, that might get lost in this is the third major transfer that they made in order to try and make the leap was to shore up this goalkeeper position that was a significant problem. And and they certainly have, uh, you know, Allison has been been very good minus the the sort of like high profile error, and that I think is you know, something that you know you can't forget that we'll see if if Keita and Fabinho you know kind of cycle in, but also like you have to manage that squad right, like you can't just swap out. Like, James Milner's been amazing, so like he gets to play regularly uh, Jordan Henderson's their captain and so like you know, what are you supposed to do with that midfield uh, as part of it it's, it's a bit of a man management thing but really again I think that if City weren't this unbelievable juggernaut 
then this league would be like wildly competitive and very interesting. But unfortunately, they are, and and Pep does that to leagues. Yeah, it's true. <clears throat> something I noted when I was doing a little wee bit of research for this one is they've they've had a very kind of like uh, either or schedule. They've either played uh, their rivals and they've had pretty good results against them or they've played kind of like lesser teams um and they've got an interest this this kind of interests me like going forward as, as to i'm not saying liverpool aren't the real deal at all but like how they manage these kind of games coming up they've got um they, they travel in before the end of the year they travel to watford bournemouth wolves and they've got um the merseyside derby as well i think not this week next week and these are all these kind of like seventh to tenth based teams and they haven't really played they played Leicester and I watched that game and they they Liverpool were not better that that game Leicester Leicester were um probably would argue they deserved something out of that game so uh little small run of games where like you know, comparing to Man City, you'd, you'd expect Man City to beat if they drew against drew against Wolves. You expect Man City to deal with those teams, and uh, if Liverpool still harbour genuine like title ambitions, which I'm sure they do, and they've every right to because they've got the points on the board and they've had a fantastic start, then these these kind of like kind of mid range games that they they're going to have to negotiate as probably as well, if not better than the the games that they've negotiated against their rivals. So just well, I, little... I think like that's the true Premier League grinder. Like when you when you've got these these teams from from sixth to, to eleventh that can turn you over and can win against good teams, like that's the the spot that a lot of leagues don't have. Um, and, and you know, I, you would say that the Premier League one probably goes further down. But like it's it's a weird league. Like um, some of the choices that have been made have been safety related. So <clears throat> we need a, a pair of hands that can stabilize us defensively. So Roy is is at Crystal Palace. Southampton ended up picking up Mark Hughes. Um, you would say that Rafa Benitez is, is actually pretty good and able to do better than that, but obviously you've got the dysfunction of Newcastle. Uh, Pellegrini is, is probably one of the more interesting ones, and, and West Ham seemed to have stabilized and doing all right there. But yeah, it's a it's been a good season. Liverpool fans, you look a lot like last year. I don't know if you make it to the Champions League uh, final, but I would say that you know, you're pretty darn good and you should definitely enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, Klopp's got a habit of doing this when he when he when he got to the Europa League final in his first season, and then the Champions League final. Well. It's like it seems to kind of come ahead of where, where you'd expect it to on the on the schedule almost, and it's going to be hard to match. The other thing, quickly on Salah, Salah still looks great. I just don't think he's going to score thirty-two goals in a season again. I think he's I think he was ahead of his expected goals last season. He'll probably score twenty or twenty-three or something, and people will think he's had a lesser season. It'll be like, no, that's great. That's that's absolutely fine. It's still a of what you probably expected from him in in that slot um it's just he had a season for the ages last year and it's genuinely hard to back that up all right sir well that's our international week podcast concluded uh lots of good stuff on the statsbomb.com website also if you're looking for free data we've got free data on the resource center there and if you're looking for all sorts of other stuff you know drop us a line send me an email uh about professional services uh statsbomb iq etc thank you very much for listening cheers mate.